And we're going to just be in Philippians 4, verses, 1, uh, verses 10 to 23. So if you haven't turned to that, uh, please do so. Uh, as I said, it's on page 1826 in the large print and 1181 in the church Bibles. Now people love to find out secrets, don't they? You know, even this afternoon, my children, Lydia and Libby, were doing something they said was top secret, and I don't know what it is. I would love to know, just in case it's something that's not very good. But many people like to know secrets such as conspiracy theories, like who killed JFK and all that kind of thing. Many claim to be able to share the secret of how to lose weight, as if it's something different from eat less and exercise more. Uh, Some products contain the secret of making you look young. Some get-rich-quick schemes have the secret of how to get more money. But Paul has learnt a secret in this passage, which, if we learnt it, would make all the others insignificant. He has learnt the secret of contentment. And if we were content, the other secrets wouldn't matter. We wouldn't care who killed JFK. We wouldn't see the perfect figure as the be-all and end-all of life. We wouldn't need more money, so we don't need to know the secret of getting it. But contentment is, is a secret that all of us can know, but that is so hard to learn. And maybe some of you would be offended tonight if I say to you that all of you are not just spiritually rich, but really are materially rich as well. You see, we have more than the vast majority of people in this world, don't we? All of us in this room, I assume, have food, clean water, shelter, and clothing. Something which billions of people in this world do not have. And that's just the basics of life, not to take into account the luxury items that we have. A spare set of clothes, education, healthcare, which are luxuries to billions of people. And then the frankly unnecessary items that we have are computers and TVs and games and transportation and so on, which to the majority of people they don't even think of having because they're just unnecessary when they haven't got anything to eat. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things, but in spite of having them and having more than so many others, we still are discontent. We still suffer with that sin of discontentment. And when you think about it, we actually need a lot less than we think we need, don't we? Moreover, as believers, we live in unparalleled times as Christians in this country. We have a freedom to preach the gospel that many of our ancestors, in fact, probably most of our ancestors, have never had. We can come to church freely and worship God, open up the Bible, and we've got no fear of anyone walking through the door and arresting us and putting us in jail. A freedom which many of our brothers and sisters across the world do not have, and yet we suffer with discontentment. You see, there's nothing wrong with having much. The problem is wanting more. There's nothing wrong with having much. The problem is wanting more. And that is discontentment. And we see in this epistle that Paul the Apostle had learnt the secret of contentment. And to put it in context, when he's writing this epistle, Paul is in prison. He's confined to a small space when he's used to being able to minister widely. 
He could not work, so was dependent on others to provide for his needs. And he was awaiting trial, and he would likely die by being fed to lions or by the sword. He was uncomfortable, and he was lonely, and he would have been unaware of what was happening in some of the churches he had given his life to building up. And in all of this situation, he said that he was content. He had the secret of contentment. So how can we learn this secret and be content whatever our circumstances? Because we face trials too, don't we? Health problems, marriage difficulties, family issues, unemployment, financial worries. How can we be content in all of these circumstances? Well, the first secret we must learn is to change our focus. A contented person's focus is on God. Notice in verse 10 that Paul uses that phrase that he's used again and again throughout the epistle to the Philippians. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. And as we've said before in other messages in Philippians, when we begin rejoicing in the Lord, all the other things seem to be put into perspective. In the most dire of circumstances in this world, we can always rejoice in the Lord. Because the Lord is always good. His divine attributes never change. His grace is never changing. Always amazing. As is his mercy and his love toward us. When we think about these things, when we focus on Jesus, and we see him as our God and our Savior who has bore our sin on the cross who has risen from the dead, who has given us eternal life, where we'll be with him forever, when we focus on these things, we realize we have much to rejoice in and our dire circumstances can be put into perspective. There's an old hymn where the chorus says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Paul rejoices in the Lord. And when we rejoice in the Lord, that's the beginning of contentment. Well, what does he rejoice in the Lord specifically? Well, here it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. The Philippians had renewed their concern. The word renew could also be translated revive. Now, in our old house in Devon, we had some flowers on the porch, and we used to call them resurrection flowers, because they would, um, we, were ne- we were never good at looking after flowers at all. So if Paula brings some dead ones to church from the flower rotor, they're probably from our house or something like that. But we would call them resurrection flowers, because they would wilt, and they'd look absolutely dead, but just a bit of water, and these flowers would be revived. They would come back to life. And that's the kind of word... Paul is using here. Your concern has been revived. Their concern for him, their support, obviously seemed to have stopped for a time. But now it's been revived and he rejoices. Paul says, indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. You see, Paul's focus is on God here, and it's shown in that he recognizes God's providence. He recognizes God's providence. The Philippian support had stopped, but he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get worried. He doesn't get despondent. 
He saw that it was because they lacked opportunity. He sees God in control of the situation. Perhaps they couldn't afford it. Perhaps for some reason they couldn't reach Paul. Perhaps there was no one that could deliver the support. Maybe in a day without constant Facebook updates, they just didn't know what was going on. We just don't know. But they lacked opportunity. And Paul's focus is on God here, in that he sees that it's God in control, and that God will provide in his perfect timing. Contentment is focusing on God. Maybe you aren't getting the promotion that you want, or the job you're looking for. Perhaps some of you are desiring a husband or wife. I know some of you are waiting for medical tests or results and want to know the outcome. But God is in control of the situation. His timing is perfect, and a contented person accepts that God is in control and that God's timing is always right. The Philippians didn't have opportunity, and Paul saw that and trusted in the timing of God. And when God did provide, he rejoiced in the Lord. As well as accepting God's timing, Paul shows his focus in another way. A contented person's focus is not on the circumstance or the need. These words in verses 11 and 12 are such a, an almighty challenge in our consumer-driven materialistic society, aren't they? Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Remember, Paul is in prison here. He's awaiting trial. He might die. He may be lonely. He would be uncomfortable in all those concerns that he had about the churches. But he doesn't see himself as in need. He, he rejoices that the Philippians have sent this gift, but he doesn't see himself as in need. And you would think, well, of course he's in need. Paul's in prison. He's in need, surely. But he says he's not in need because he's content with his circumstance. The word content literally means self-sufficient or independent, not needing or wanting anything more than what you have. So his well-being is not controlled by his circumstance. He knows that his well-being depends on his relationship with God. He has all he desires in Christ. And in this way, he's truly independent or self-sufficient of circumstance. His focus is on God. And the contentment, by the way, just to clarify, that is being talked about here is with circumstances or physical things. We should never be content with um, how, uh, how sanctified we are as believers. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. We are content with what Jesus has done. He has saved us and we're always saved. But we're never perfect, are we? So we shouldn't be content with the fact that we're still sinning. That's not the contentment Paul means here. We should never be content with the fact we're sinning, and we should always want to be more Christ-like. As much as we are content with what Jesus has done for us. But the point he's making here is about the contentment with our circumstance, or with what we have, or what we think we need. He has learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. And the fact that he has to learn it shows us that it's a lesson, doesn't it? And one which we all must learn. And in verse 12, he tells us of the situations to be content in. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul the Apostle knew what it was to be in need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he describes some of the things that had gone on in his life. He says these words, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food often. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul knew need. But he also says he knew plenty. And he was content with either. And we must learn to be content whatever our circumstances. And really, most of us need to learn how to live in plenty. Because in comparison to the majority of the world, we are in plenty, aren't we? Discontentment is where we think, or we never think, that we have enough, or we always desire more. And this is either with material things or with the circumstances that life throws at us. It can even be where we desire less, because we do not accept what God has given us. That's part of learning to live in plenty. Some people, uh, I don't know whether this might be you, but feel guilty for having what God has blessed them with. But we must learn to live in plenty. When we get more stuff or different circumstances, often we're not satisfied with it and always want more and are never content. And in this case, we are not independent, but rather dependent on stuff or different circumstances to satisfy us. Whereas our satisfaction should be in Christ, not in our stuff and our circumstance. Now this isn't to play down our circumstances and pretend everything's okay when it's not. That's not contentment. But contentment is focusing on God and accepting the circumstances he has given to us. Not being a victim of them, but a victor through them. It is living a godly life and being at peace in any situation. There's a quote there that I read as I was preparing this. It says, when we control our desires, minimize our wants, we can reach independence more really than by acquiring a vast estate. In other words, when we are content with what we have, we have what we need. When we're content with what we have, we have what we need. Some of you may think that this is ridiculous. Well, you don't know my circumstances. How can I be content when my life is so messed up because of other people's sin or because of my own sin? Well, when we focus on God rather than the circumstances, we can be content. But we can only do this through Christ. Look at verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, this is one of the most often misquoted verses in Scripture. People use this to give the impression that Christians can be some sort of superheroes that can bound over buildings and pick up buses like with the Superman or the Incredible Hulk. But this is not 
what the Bible means. What Paul means here is that contentment can be found through the strength that Christ gives us. We can face any situation if our focus is on God, because when our focus is there, we receive the strength from him to face the situation, as our priorities change from our circumstances to our saviour. We can spend a lot of our time looking down and looking at the circumstances and what we think we need, whereas if we're looking at Jesus, everything else is put into perspective. We can do all this, Paul says. We can be content in all these circumstances through him, that is Jesus. So we must be in communion with him. We must be resting in him, trusting him, praying through him, meditating on him, looking to the future that we have in him. And when we do this, we remember all we have in Christ. We remember that we have all we need to face any situation. And then if if the worst should happen and our life is over, well, Paul says, even in this letter, that that's a gain to us because we'll be with Jesus. We can face any circumstance with contentment if our focus is on God and not just on the circumstance. And I said that that contentment uh, in this text means self-sufficient, but it actually is self-sufficient only because Christ is in us. We are Christ-sufficient. So when we're focused on Jesus and all we have in him, we can do all things. Uh, Many of you will know of the sitcom Only Fools and Horses. And in that program, Dale Boy always had a phrase, this time next year, we'll be millionaires. That's why you'd always say that throughout the whole program. And then every uh, year would pass, and his schemes always failed, and he'd never be a millionaire. But that man, as funny as he was, was never content. He was never satisfied with what he had. He always wanted to be more. And in the final show, um, he became a millionaire. And what did he say? One of his last lines. If we invest well enough, this time next year, we could be billionaires, is what he said. He was never content with what he had. But we can rightly say as Christians, you know, this time next century, we won't be millionaires, we'll be with Jesus. We'll have more riches than anyone could ever imagine. We'll be with Jesus in heaven. And right now, although we may not be millionaires, we have spiritual riches beyond measure. We should be content, shouldn't we? Well, this is so applicable and yet so challenging. As I've been preparing this, I have to confess that I've really struggled with my own life and my own lack of contentment in so many areas. First of all, the obvious application is is that of not desiring more stuff all of the time and being content with what we already have. And this is so hard in our consumer-driven, materialistic society. But we need to change our focus from our stuff and what we want to our saviour and focus on him. May he be all that you want. And then, what about our circumstances? Well, in our circumstances, Christ is our strength. Perhaps you're suffering with poor health. We can be content because Christ is your strength. Perhaps you're struggling financially We can be content because Christ is our strength. 
Perhaps your family is causing you grief. Christ is your strength. We can be content. Perhaps your children are struggling spiritually, emotionally, physically. Often when our children are, are struggling, it's harder than our own, isn't it? But Christ is our strength even in that, and we can be content. Perhaps you've got issues from the past that weigh you down. Christ is your strength. You can be content. Perhaps you can't find work. Christ is your strength. We can be content. Perhaps you're unsure over what your life holds in the future. You don't know what to do. Christ is your strength. You can be content. Perhaps you're in plenty and you have so much you don't even know what to do with it. You can be content, but we need to be using what we have for Christ. I cannot be here and give you a step-by-step guide to how to deal with all of your situations, but what I can do is tell you to rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice. I can tell you from the Bible that God is in control of your situation and your circumstance, and his timing is perfect. I can tell you that in all these situations... We need not be wanting more than what God has given us at this present time. And we can be satisfied with him. In all these situations, all these circumstances, focus on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the first secret is a focus on God. The second secret is a concern for the needs of others. A contented person has a concern for the needs of others. Whilst it's true that Christ gives us strength, Paul also received the help of other believers. And Paul thanks the Philippians for the help that they gave him. In this part of the passage, we see that Paul, in spite of being in dire circumstance himself, was concerned for the needs of others of the Philippian church. In verse 14, Paul says, yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Paul shows his concern for others by being thankful for them. In helping Paul, they shared in his trouble. And often, well, anytime we help somebody else, we are sharing in it, aren't we, in their circumstance. We shouldn't be going through any circumstance on our own We should be having others to help us. And he thanks them for what he has done, for what they have done. And this thankfulness is extended in the way that Paul remembers what the Philippians have done in the past as well. Look at verses 15 to 16. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Well, when Paul went to Macedonia, the churches didn't share with him except for Philippi. He says that they even shared in Thessalonica. That was in Acts chapter 17. And Paul went there, and it was dangerous there. You may remember he got hounded out of the city, and it wouldn't be easy to get gifts to him. And they sent him aid more than once. And he was only there three weeks. And they wouldn't have had a postal service like today. Someone would have had to go to a dangerous place where there was risk to give Paul the help he needed. 
Philippi were a church in the model of their father, their founder Paul. They were concerned with his needs and were generous in their giving to him. And a contented person and a contented church are thankful and are generous with what they have. More than being thankful though, in verse 17, Paul's concern is not for their gifts, but for them to be blessed. Not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He desires blessings for them. Paul was content enough not to desire their gifts, but at the same time, any desire he does have is not for the gift itself, but for the knowledge that because they have given it, they would be rewarded by God. The phrase credited to your account does not refer to salvation, like in the medieval times when the, the Catholic Church were uh, giving out indulgences. You, you would pay money to receive salvation. That's not the case here. This is talking about uh, the reward that the Lord gives in heaven or the, the earthly holiness that generosity can breed in the Christian. And there is a biblical principle throughout Scripture that blessings fall on those who are generous. For example, uh, we see this proverb, chapter 11, verses 24 to 25. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says, A generous man will be blessed. And Paul's joy is in the gift, is not that he now has extra money, it's that the Philippians themselves are going to be blessed and rewarded by God. A contented person desires others to be blessed, not themselves. The thought of them being blessed is continued in verses 18 and 19. Look at verse 18, where Paul acknowledges that his needs have been supplied. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received the gifts from Epaphroditus that you have sent. Paul's contentment is shown here. He doesn't desire more. From his prison cell, he says that he is amply supplied and has more than enough. And we all are, aren't we? We all have, really, more than enough, if we're honest with ourselves. We have more than enough material things. We are amply supplied. And Paul's concern is for the Philippians to be blessed for their giving. Now, it must be noted here that, uh, that, the, that the fact God uh, blesses us if we give doesn't mean that we should give in order to get back. God knows the heart. In the next verse, Paul describes their gift as a sacrifice. And Paul tells them that the sacrifice they have made will result in their needs being supplied and that God is pleased with their sacrifice. But we don't give in order to get back. So if you give £10 in the church offering, there's not not a guarantee that next week there's going to be £20 come in your bank account. That's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, uh, the Bible um, tells us that that if if that's the case, we, we won't be blessed. But look what he says in verse 18, that it's a sacrifice, a sacrificial gift. It says they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, as far as we know, the Philippians didn't send Paul perfume. This is language from the Old Testament. 
the Old Testament sacrifices that were given to God. The gifts sent to Paul were actually gifts given to God. And whenever we give to God's people, really we're giving to God. Jesus said that, didn't he? If you give to my people, you're really giving to me. The person that we give to is blessed, but it's God who receives the sacrifice and is pleased with it. And as a result of this, God will supply the needs of the giver. Look at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And this is another chapter, a verse of this chapter that is misquoted. You see, in the context of this chapter, the provision of God is related to the giving of his people. The word your here is talking specifically to the Philippians who have sacrificed. He is saying in the same way that you have met my needs and sacrificed to God, so God will supply your need. If we are offering sacrificially to God, he will meet the needs that we have. If we refuse to sacrifice and hold back what he's given to us, we cannot expect to have our needs supplied. At the end of the proverb, it says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. So we can expect this verse to be used and plucked out from miserly Christians who refuse to give anything and say that God will supply our needs. That's just not the case. We need to be giving ourselves to God. And as we do, God supplies our needs. And where does he supply from? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There is an inexhaustible supply of riches. And whilst it's true that it's linked to the sacrifice... And if we're not generous, then perhaps we'll be taught a lesson by not having our needs supplied. God doesn't supply our needs based only on what we have given, as if he gives exactly the same back or double. He gives us according to his riches. We receive grace. We can never outgive God. We can never give as much as he's already given us. God always gives us more than we deserve. And whilst as Christians we can take comfort from this verse and apply it to ourselves, we must remember that Paul isn't actually applying it to himself, but to other people. He isn't thinking about his needs, he's thinking about their needs being supplied. And if you think about our needs, we shouldn't really be in need of anything. Because if, we're in, if we are content with what God has already supplied us, we'll be concerned with the needs of others. And if we're concerned with the needs of others and we provide for them, then our needs too will be met by God. You confused? I hope not, but I'll read you I'll read you that bit because it can be sound confusing. We shouldn't really be in need of anything because we should be content with what God has already supplied us with. If we are content, we'll be concerned with the needs of others, and if we're concerned with the needs of others, then we have all we need from God. God supplies our needs, but in the context of us being concerned with the needs of others. This also stops us from giving in order to get back. That isn't contentment, and it's not generosity. We give out of a genuine love for God and his people. And in the final verses of this book, Paul shows his concern for others in the way he encourages them. He encourages them in verses 21 to 23. 
Greet all people, all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He sends greetings to all of God's people. And when he does this, the, the, the way it's described in the original language is talking about each person individually that's in the church. He cares for each one of them. And it says that the brothers and sisters are with me. They send greetings. And all of uh, God's people here send greetings. Those even in Caesar's household. Now, the Caesar uh, was Nero. And he was a wicked violent tyrant who persecuted the church. But the gospel had even reached the courts of this awful emperor. Perhaps the people who were believers were slaves. They may have been high up in the courts. We just don't know. But the people that were persecuting, the the Caesar that was persecuting this church in Philippi, people from his household were being saved and sending greetings. And also it would have been encouragement because he was writing from Rome. And as a Roman colony, the people of Rome would have looked down on Philippi as a colonial town. But they were shown that they were treated as true, equal brothers and sisters in Christ. They were encouraged by Paul's words. Paul is concerned with the needs of others. And the secret of contentment is to focus on God and be concerned for other people's needs above your own. I remember a few years back when Paula's brother got married. He got married in Romania. And we all went out to the wedding. And I remember uh, we decided that we wanted to stay with a Romanian family rather than a hotel. Not because I'm a complete cheapskate, but because we wanted to get an experience of being with some Christians from Romania. And we had a wonderful time with these people, but they hardly had anything. These people lived in these high, this high-rise uh, old communist building. And they, they just hardly had anything. Their, their clothes were scruffy. And they, they, they were just, in comparison to us, in, in poverty. And yet these people were so generous. They loved us so much. When we were there, um, they just provided us with the best food that they had. Some of it, we didn't even know what it was. And tasted a bit funny. But they gave us the best that they had. The best food. Even though they had nothing, they gave us the best that they had. And we knew this. And I remember one time we had a a conversation with this uh, Romanian lady that we were staying with. And she didn't speak a word of English. And we could speak just thank you, because we'd learnt that on the the way there. We couldn't speak anything. And she was trying to communicate something to me. And I eventually got it. She showed me in the scriptures. She said, one in Christ. One in Christ. And she was concerned for my needs even though she had hardly anything, a Christian in another country, another language, but she knew that we were one in Christ. And as we left, I wrote her, I copied from the Romanian Bible some of the words Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1. I said, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. I remember those people in Romania, those people that had nothing, and they were so content. They were joyful. They were pleased. They were just thrilled to be believers in a country where they hardly had anything. And us uh, rich uh, people from England, in comparison, came over, and they didn't care that we were rich in comparison to them. They wanted us to give. They wanted to give us the best that they had. They were content. They were concerned with the needs of others. And we have a tendency to wallow in our own problems and our self-pity. But as Christians, whatever our circumstance, 
we need to be concerned with others. And as we do so, our needs will naturally just be supplied by God. Well, we have people in our church with health problems. We have people that are housebound. We have people with financial need. We have people with all sorts of circumstances which are really hard. Well, I encourage you, in in practical ways, we need to be looking out for the needs of one another. Whatever your circumstance, look out for the needs of others. And as you focus on God and are concerned with others, your needs will be supplied. What is the secret of contentment? It's difficult to learn, but it's trusting in God, rejoicing in him, focusing on Jesus, having him as your strength, and being concerned with your neighbor and loving them as well. Well, as we apply this message to our lives, we focus now on where true contentment comes from. We focus on God, on our Savior, and on the sacrifice he made for our ultimate need, our need of salvation, a way back to God, which he gave us through Jesus Christ. But before we have communion and we come around the Lord's table, let's take some time, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, to examine our hearts. Perhaps there's things spoke about tonight, things that you're discontented with, that you need to bring before God and confess. And after we've had just a few moments, we'll come around the Lord's table and remember what he's done for us.